0: Welcome to Goodwill Hunters. Here, we'll explore the ultimate question, how to use profits for purpose. It's been said business must help solve the global challenges we face. In this podcast, we explore how. How can the private and not-for-profits work better together? What truly constitutes aid and progress? And how can we transform international development? Here, we talk with the thought leaders, the game changers, the intellectuals, and the campaigners. I'm your host, Rachel Mason Nunn, and this is Goodwill Hunters. Welcome to episode 55 of Goodwill Hunters. I'm very excited to be sharing this episode with you. It's a special episode of Goodwill Hunters recorded at the recent PowerLickLick NGO forum hosted by the Kokoda Track Foundation or KTF as they're known. KTF is an organization very close to my heart. The CEO, Dr. Genevieve Nelson, was the first ever guest on this podcast. Since then, Jen and I, as well as Mike, Anita, Petra and the larger KTF team, have had some amazing times working together, including a very fun and eye-opening trip through the highlands of P&G back in July. Jen first told me about the idea for this conference. When we were sitting on a jetty in Milne Bay in the southeast of Papua New Guinea. Like all things Jen does, what sounds impossible to someone who is not Jen turns out to be remarkably possible for Jen. She is truly a superwoman. Now, this episode we're sharing today is the keynote speech given by Nigel Spence, the outgoing CEO of Child Fund Australia, at the commencement of the NGO forum. Nigel is actually on the show in a few weeks, so I wanted to air this episode now to give you a chance to submit questions for me to ask Nigel when we chat. Nigel has been the CEO of Child Fund since 2006, and in this episode, you'll hear him reflect on his breadth of experience during that time. As always, I hope you enjoy it.
1: Good morning, everybody. Um, Really, really pleased to be here with you and to uh, share some thoughts this morning. Uh, huge credit to uh, KTF for organising this, this event. Um, and uh, if, uh, as Anita has done, if I could just begin, please, by also acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we're, we're meeting, um, the Gadigal people of the Aora Nation and acknowledge their elders past, present and emerging. And if there are any Aboriginal colleagues with us today, um, uh, I, I would like to acknowledge you with, with great respect. Um, so look yeah I have been invited to uh, provide some comments which I hope will be interesting and useful and maybe even thought-provoking uh, around um, the challenges and the opportunities for for growth for partnering for innovation for small and medium NGOs now um, child fund is not not a not a smaller medium we, we by most rankings we're, we're in the large category um, but uh, I hope that some of our experiences um, might be useful t- for you. Um, certainly, uh, Child Fund already partners with a lot of smaller, medium-sized NGOs, including I think some who are here today. So I- I'd like to thank you for the valued partnerships that we have already um, with many, many organisations. So look, what, what I, what I, uh, uh, after talking to Jen um, about this, um, I-, I thought we would, uh, I would share just um, a few. The outline being a few comments on size, power, effectiveness. A few thoughts on how does an organisation generate growth. A few thoughts on how does an organisation stimulate and encourage innovation. I want to talk a little bit about some of the challenges that most NGOs I think are facing, large, small and medium, and some of the responses that are being made and then the issue the question of partnerships and collaborations including a few comments on that vexed question of mergers which is constantly in 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 discussion in our sector and uh i've got about uh about 10 or 10 or so slides to to take us through um i will try and make reference to child fund's experience not because i think we've, we 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 i think we've been pretty successful i wouldn't suggest we so amazing, but there may be some examples here which, uh, which are interesting and useful to learn from. If there are burning questions or violent disagreements or anything you really want to say, please inter- interrupt, um, uh, please, please do feel free to do that. Um, otherwise, I'll try and make sure to leave time at the end. We've got, I've got a fairly generous amount of time, so I think there'll be time at the end of, of my comments for, for questions and discussion. So, okay, ready, let's go. Look, I want to start with a question. Would you be a better organisation if you were bigger? Would you be a better organisation if you were smaller? What's the right size for you as an organisation? And we ask the question because I think there is a bit of an obsession with size and growth. Typically our boards measure success by how much we've grown or not. But I think when we start to reflect on that question, as we have at child fund, we, we quickly realize, I think I hope you agree, I'm not sure whether you would, but I hope you agree that growth is not the primary ambition. Child fund will not be have, have achieved success if it was to ever become the largest NGO in the development sector. I mean, it's a ridiculous ambition. We, we, we couldn't do it even if, even if we wanted to. But what would be the point? So I think it's important to reflect on what's what's our ambition, whatever sized organisation we are, and what is an appropriate growth plan to set oneself. Ultimately, I think what we're on about is effectiveness, not size. Effectiveness, impact, results, the value add, the contribution that we bring in the world. That's how we should be measuring our success, not how big or small we are. And there can be arguments made about right size for different types of programming. Chris Roach, who you might know from, from Oxfam, famously said you can't take a super tanker, whitewater rafting. And I think you might have also, if he'd gone on with the, that line of thought, might have that you can't take massive cargo across the ocean in a canoe. We surely we need different sized organisations to do the variety of tasks at the variety of levels and in the variety of styles that people in, who, who face development need today require. So that's our starting question. What, what's the right size? What, what sort of growth trajectory you know realistically do we wanna have? And, and I've just put this slide up here because um, uh, if you, for rugby fans in the room, you might recognize the, the five for South Africa kicking off in one of the rugby matches in the World Cup, which is currently going on in Japan one of our most interesting uh, and unusual partnerships to have emerged in recent years is that child fund is the charity partner for this event for the Rugby World Cup in Japan um, a an unusual situation for an organization of our size to win that opportunity um, and uh, and a fantastic opportunity and um, I'll say a little bit more about that later on because I think there's some lessons for us to take from um, to take from that that partnership but we are very Play, play. So if, if you are watching the Rugby World Cup, please, please play Spot the Child Fund signage um, uh, as, as you as you watch the game. Growth is not the primary ambition. What matters is effectiveness. Um, but let's also challenge ourselves on that question. Are we truly being effective? Are we really getting results? It's easy to assume that everything we do is, is well intended and therefore it's of good value. That's not good enough. Good intent is not enough for our organisations. It has to be backed up by demonstrable results if we're serious about being effective. A final comment, look, while growth is not the ambition I'm suggesting, effectiveness impact is what's, what's important. Um, it is challenging to maintain dynamism and motivation and energy and impact in a shrinking organization. So typically it, it, it can be difficult to it can be difficult to sustain that without some measure of sense of progress. There always should be sense of progress in our organizations, even if there is some restructuring and resizing going on. So, with those starting comments, what what is actually going on for small and medium NGOs? Um, if you've had a look at the ACVID uh, state-of-the-sector report from last year you will have seen these, these figures. Um, it's not perhaps the best graphic uh, because it's immediately we see, see the dominance in terms of revenue of the large organisations um, and uh, medium and small in the lower rows. Um, and, he, and, and remembering that large NGOs in, these, in the ACFID figures are those with an annual spend of greater than 10 million, medium between one and $10 million, and small in this categorisation are NGOs that have an annual development spend of less than a million dollars. And uh, in the ACFID group, of course, there are a lot more small and medium-sized organisations than there are large. 23 large, 44 medium and 59 small. And interestingly, in that ac- state of the survey, re- uh, state of the sector report, the ACFID identified a lot of very small and micro organisations outside the ACFID membership. Yeah, I think it was something like another 200 organisations. Um, who are not part of ACFID, who are involved in some kind of development activity. Maybe this one's more confusing but more useful. If you look at the, um, if you look at the uh, total revenue change over five years, again, this is straight out of the, the ACFID report. If you look at the revenue changes over five years for the, the large at the top, medium in the middle, and small at the bottom, you can see great variation in those organisations that have uh, increased and those organisations that have decreased in terms of revenue size. All three groups have NGOs who, who grew, and all three groups had those who fell. So uh, can you follow this? These are actually numbers of NGOs. If we go to the um, let's go to the, the the medium group, you can see here on this side side are the NGOs that have grown in their revenue over the past five years. Um, some by what's that, ten percent. Um, and on this side are the numbers of organisations that have reduced their revenue. And this is the the number. So here we have five NGOs who have reduced their revenue by 20% over the past five years. Now, without getting bogged down in the detail here, I think what we just see is for the small particularly, there's much greater variation in terms of those who have grown and those who have, have reduced. Much more volatility for small, which perhaps isn't su- a surprise when you think about the... The, um, uh, the the small starting base, starting point for, for NGOs in this category. Much more variation in the fortune, more variation in the fortunes of smaller NGOs. Many saw their revenue either fall substantially or grow significantly in percentage terms. This is clearly different from the large NGOs, where there was le- less variation. No organisations whose revenue changed by more than fifty percent in the large group. And if you're this organisation out here um, that increased by 200% in the last five years, um, you should be up here giving this presentation, I think. How on earth do you generate growth? Well, as the graph shows us, a lot of you, a lot of ACVID members of small and medium size are very successfully achieving that. Um, So, as always, we should learn from success. I, I, I would just make a couple of simple points. I think, first of all, it's vital to have a very clear-eyed understanding of your role, your niche, your specialty, your core competence. What is it that you bring? What is it that you bring? What is your depth of experience? What's your value add in the world? And usually it will lie in one of three areas. It will usually be either a technical or sectoral speciality, like, I don't know, I'm going to think of, name some organisations live and learn with a strength in educational uh, environmental education sport matters with a with expertise in sport for development institutional advocacy like results australia do some of you will be specialists in education some will be specialists in health know what know what that technical sectoral depth is you may also have or you may alternatively have your core competence in a, in a, in a location, a geography. Uh, talking to some guys here earlier, clearly uh, a, a depth of connection with PNG. And KTF clearly has that expert in-depth understanding about the operating environment of PNG. So that might be your core competence or one of your core competencies. Or it may be that you have a particular constituency who supports you with whom you connect, a faith-based community, a professional association, I think Interplast has a, has a professional connection which is, is its underpinning. Know what your value, what know your core competency and build on it. One way to do that is to reflect on your best moments. We use this appreciative inquiry question a lot at ChildFund. When have you been at your best? If you're trying to understand your core competence... Special value add that you bring. When have you been at your best? It's um, for those of you who are familiar with the appreciative inquiry method of strategic planning. It's a it's a stock standard question and a very good question that we find brings a lot of interesting reflections and learnings. And then thirdly, be alert to emerging opportunities. Now, this is kind of a bit stating the the obvious, but you have to be on the lookout for the next opportunity. For child fund, um, we've we've enjoyed long sustained growth. We've had 14 years of financial growth at a rate faster than the sector. Now, I think that's a lot to do with just grabbing the opportunities as they come along. We were one of the the first organizations to start face-to-face fundraising back back in, uh, in the early 2000s when that was a really successful model not so much now, but it was then, and we, we achieved great things with that. When, we, uh, when I started 14 years ago, we, we uh, actively uh, worked within our alliance group to secure more support from members who we knew wanted to invest in Southeast Asia and Pacific. So we were very successful in getting funding from Korea, from Japan, from New Zealand, from other countries to invest in those opportunities. We were able to capitalise on ANCP growth at a time when it was growing and re and and rebuild our M and E system. Um, it's about I think recognizing where the next opportunity is coming from. This World Cup, uh, Rugby World Cup opportunity was not something we planned to do, but as our sport for development work uh, grew rapidly, we found that uh, World Rugby were increasingly attracted to what we were doing, and were able to position ourselves um, to be the the next charity partner um, for the World Cup. So. It's being alert to those emerging opportunities, many of which you can't plan for, but when they come along, you've got to recognise them and go for it. Again, just in terms of child funds experience, I don't think we've done anything particularly amazing, but we have worked hard to diversify our revenue, to move away from a reliance on child sponsorship. We have, when we think about how to be at our best, we've tightened our geographic and sectoral focus to concentrate much more specifically on Southeast Asia and Pacific and to narrow down our sectoral work to education, protection, health. We have absolutely committed to quality programming and invested strongly in measuring the impact uh, of our work through a much more sophisticated M&E system. We have actively encouraged innovative programming and I'll say more about this one in a moment, but we have much more proactively gone out for new partnerships and collaborations. And at Child Fund, one of our, I think, hallmarks, one of our better qualities is we put a very high value on workplace culture, on building strong, participative uh, workplace culture through the organisation and through to our partners. And these things have served us well. So look, a few thoughts on, on growth there. Understand and value your niche. Learn from your best moments. Be alert to your opportunities. Um, Bond in, in the UK did a social innovation report in 2016. I encourage you to have a look, it's a good report. And the quote here is that organizations that want to innovate require strategic intent, dedicated leadership, a reconfigura- reconfiguring of organizational resources, a highly collaborative, highly connected, open to experimentation and learning, open to considered risk-taking, very outward facing, and able to co-create value with other organizations. I think the good news, again, is that many innovations and reforms are already in evidence or have been started by small and medium NGOs. So often it is small and medium NGOs who break new ground and are the innovators. When I think of some of the first sport for development projects, we can even think of microfinance, when Grameen Bank started as a village lender in Bangladesh. Digital libraries. We do a lot of work now with Libraries for All, who pioneered digital libraries in PNG and other countries. Even some of the uh, best early work in Australia on disability inclusion was led by some of the smaller and medium sized NGOs. I think the good news is a lot of organisations, a lot of your organisations, are already involved in some very interesting, exciting, dynamic new work. And it's often the small and medium who will break new ground. One of our best um, partnerships is with. Um, uh, some of our best work, I think, is in education in Cambodia. All come about because of pioneering work by CAPE, the Campuchinian Action for Primary Education. Very good uh, uh, local NGO. Very uh, high-quality uh, educational methodology that they have. We've partnered with them very successfully. Um, that's now rolling out in a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, lot of districts. Uh, we've got the support now of the Minister for Education and we were delighted when I was there two weeks ago, that oh, I'm not sure it's a blessing or a curse, but the prime minister Hun Sen acknowledged that the new generation schools and the easy to learn methodology uh, should be served as a model for education across the country. This all started with CAPE. For me, it comes down to three, three points. Ideas, collaborations, and permission. You've got to be hungry for ideas. You've got to be hungry to learn. You have to create within your organizations a culture that is looking for for new ways of doing things. That's self-critical, looking for new methods, open to the research, to the the emerging research. And that requires connectivity with networks with research bodies, with thought leaders, with fellow organizations in your field and related fields. You should know who the key players are in the, in the, in the field that you're operating, and you should have some connection to the, to the ideas that are being generated within that area. Self-criticism, critical thinking, active listening. Now, you know, it, it's easy to say, but um, y- y- not necessarily easy to create that kind of culture. But I think you know what I mean. It's that constant uh, uh, openness to new learning, new ways of doing things. And for child fund, which has a long history, which can be a burden and can be a drag on new thinking, we've had to work hard, I think, to create that kind of culture. When we were doing our last couple of strategic plans, we deliberately set up what we call a skunkworks process. Have you heard that term, skunk works? It was, um, it's a term used occasionally in strategic planning. It goes back to a group who um, a skunk works group who started uh, some innovative work with lockheed martin uh, during world war ii and it's it's stuck ever since there's a way to put together a group of your best thinkers take them outside the organization and give them free reign to brainstorm uh, new ideas new approaches and for us with our last two strategic plans it's been very important to give uh, groups of people not just in Australia, but around our network and partners, the opportunity for that very free thinking, facilitated by, um, by, uh, and in our case, we've used a couple of consultants who've been really good at encouraging us to to do that kind of thinking. But look, uh, for us, we've 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 adopted a lot of ideas, and when you think about them, none of, none of these are new. Some of the examples up on the board here are our um, our swipe safe uh, uh, work in. Um, vietnam and myanmar which is working with kids uh to enable them to be safe online to manage the challenges of cybersecurity and online bullying and uh and exploitation which is um which is a real threat for a lot of those kids we borrowed a lot of the ideas from cyber safety programs in the uk and australia in designing that 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 program the um the Child Fund Pass It Back is a sport for development project that I've already mentioned. Child Fund Connect was a cross-cultural media, a cross-cultural education project where we had kids in Australia connecting with kids in Timor, Vietnam, um, Uganda uh, to exchange through multimedia, multi-media methods, um, experiences of their daily lives. Photojournalism in PNG, not a new idea, but a very it gave us a tremendous... Um, uh, New learning around how to involve kids in, in, in effective participatory ways, digital libraries, our our global community, which is a community sponsorship model. Deliberately, we tried to move away from or create an alternative to individual child sponsorship, and used a global community, a community uh, a community sponsorship model called Global Community to to enable people to support uh, districts of kids, not not individual kids, using Facebook initially as a communication mechanism. Our Salesforce M&E system um, and our Salesforce customer relations model. um, I mean, that that frankly nearly killed us, that one, um, because implementing a massively new, different and highly sophisticated um, donor relations system, customer relations system to replace our legacy and transferring the data across it was, um, yeah, probably the worst moments of my life in child fund. Um, but we survived it, and now we have a really good uh, and expensive, I have, I, I confess. Um, but we survived it, and, uh, and, and, and and it's fantastic. It gives us such great data now, not only for our donor relations, but also we've now got our m and system built into the sales force. So we can take data directly from the field on handheld devices, put it straight into the into the system, and, uh, and have um, really up to date uh, data and reports. Well, it's it's you know when did it start and when did it finish is, is 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 challenging. Look, I mean we that 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 was a was a long project. Okay, so that took from the time we did the requirements gathering through to through to the go live. That was about um, two years, two years, and then we had another six months of pain after that, after the go live. But look, the point here is that we're looking for those new ways all the time of, of doing things. Now they have to be, they have to be, you know, uh, commensurate with the size and scale of your organisation. Um, uh, but um, yeah, innovation—we've got to be in touch with with the ideas, collaborations. Look, I think. When you look at the, um, so many of the reports now about uh, challenges faced by NGOs, top of the list comes, we've got to collaborate and find new ways of partnering. And for us, that was also true. For Child Fund, frankly, I think Child Fund Australia was, um, for a long time, too deeply enmeshed with its, with its, within its own Child Fund Alliance family, which gave a lot of benefits, but also I think held back our thinking. Uh, Over the last 10 years, particularly the last five, we made a deliberate decision to loosen our ties with our own family and to befriend a whole lot of new partners and organisations. And that's been quite liberating. And it's caused some consternation with our global family. But uh, we made commitments to, in terms of our implementation to move much more towards implementing through and with local, uh, local partners. And we also actively looked for new friends in research, in training, uh, in education and child protection. Um, uh, many of your organizations we began to partner with in the last five years. And that has really stimulated a lot of new, interesting thinking. With our sport for development work, which started as a very small pilot project in Laos, testing out a lot of different sports as ways to engage kids. Strangely, we fell on rugby, as 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 the as the, the sport of choice. There was a good, by strange circumstances, as a, as, a, as a very quite strong, effective local rugby federation in Laos. H- who knew? Um, we partnered with them. We we. Uh, worked very effectively with Women Win. Some of you may know them. A very uh, a leading, but small NGO on women uh, in sport. Also, Sport Matters. Anybody from Sport Matters here today? No. Um, and we we established quite a interesting and new uh, and very comprehensive curriculum that integrated life skills and sport. That was enormously successful in Laos. We then extended it to Vietnam. We got Asia Rugby, the regional federation for the sport of rugby involved as a partner. We extended it to the Philippines. We began to scope the work in Cambodia and Myanmar. And we we started to get World Rugby, the global uh, administrative body involved. They really liked it. There was a World Cup coming up in Japan. They really wanted to partner with somebody that could demonstrate that they could leave a lasting legacy for kids in the region through the Japan World Cup. Their previous charity partner for the last three World Cups, World Food Program, couldn't meet that expectation. We were able to position ourselves as an organisation that was delivering social benefits for kids in the region and, coincidentally, was growing the sport of rugby. So after endless meetings and discussions, we were appointed as a charity partner. Now, we had no intention you know, when we began this journey three years ago, this would be how it worked out. But it's given us tremendous opportunity, tremendous visibility, and it's given us a lot of fundraising, which is going back into Sport for Development, which is now also present in the Pacific, um, in now in Timor-Leste in Cambodia. Now, we copped a fair bit of criticism from various quarters for for this, but there's no question that the collaboration... Um, uh, with, un- with unusual partners, not the usual suspects that we would work with, led to some very interesting outcomes. You have to find new friends. Most of our work, our larger program work, particularly our large grant funded program work, like our education work in PNG, our work on tuberculosis in PNG, our work on education in Laos, is done as consortium. It's the, the method of choice now. For, for large institutional donors. So we're in, we're, in, we're in consortia, and I suggest if you're not already, you need to be looking to be help, how to be part of those consortia to add value, uh, a specific value add to those those programs. These collaborations are, are not are no longer unusual. This is the norm. Um, and I think all of us, uh, whatever size organisation, have to find ways of being part of those joint activities and joint initiatives. Look, the final point, ideas, I'm I'm saying, how do we generate innovation? Ideas, collaboration, permission. Really important to give dynamic people and partners and yourself space and opportunity. We've had some fantastic individuals in in the sport for development area, and we've basically said, look, you've got free reign, go for it, Um, release them from other responsibilities, do what you can, and it's yielded good results. And I guess it's a little bit that question. You know, do you need strategy or do you need good people and good culture? I, I remember I, I've told Paul Ronalds this story from Save the Children because we uh, the, strat- the strategic plan before last at Child fund we spent we spent you know months and months and months working up a really comprehensive, detailed plan as what we're going to do, and we had goals and KPIs and objectives and activities and da da da. And I thought, oh look, we invite Paul Ronalds in as a guest speaker for the um, the final presentation of the strategic plan. And his opening comments were, look, forget strategy. <laughs> Don't worry about strategy. Just get good talent in the organisation and give them permission. And I think he's right. And I think we ne- needed the strategy as well. I'm going to whiz through. Look, couple, t- two more slides. Look, I, 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 there's uh, been some interesting work done by the International Civil Society Centre on challenges to growth and innovation and partnering by international NGOs. They did a survey of the 20 largest NGOs a couple of years ago as to what those NGOs thought were the biggest challenges to to development. Um, It's called uh, scanning the horizon, that report if you want to look for it. And and these are pretty significant challenges that we all face. And I think you know this, whatever organizational size you are, that rising inequality, demographic shifts, displacement, migration, people movement, climate change, the rise of nationalism, populism, technologies which have liberating and and risks uh, attached to them to, to disintermediation which the notion that we don't need the the development agency to be the broker between resource rich and resource poor environments global power shifts where the traditional actors are no longer exercising the hegemonic power that they used to have and new players are in the mix and closing space for civil society and i think you know uh, we Within ACFID, there's been lots of discussions about these types of challenges facing the development sector. And I think we all feel this very keenly. These are very, very strong headwinds that we're having to deal with as we go forward with our mission. The report also looked at what um, responses NGOs were making or planning to make to these challenges. Um, And it was more about what they were planning to do than what they were actually doing. And this survey was done during 2017, 2018, the 20 largest NGOs. And they said, by and large, um, the main responses that these NGOs were planning to make to these difficult times were, one, as we've, I've just been banging on about, work more in partnerships and coalitions. No longer okay just to, to go to go alone. So many looking to diversify income and business models become more agile and innovative. This is where small and medium clearly have the advantage over the big guys because it's very difficult for the large NGOs, to, to rapidly change and adapt, reset their communications with their constituencies. There was a sense that people had become disconnected from their supporter bases, had lost the ability to tell the story. Many were planning to expand their advocacy and influencing work. Many were planning to refocus geographically or sectorally, mostly to try and narrow and specialise rather than go uh, be you know, generalist as many of the big NGOs are and move towards much more fl- flexible planning processes. So not the static three-year plan that's evaluated, but much more rapid um, uh, year-on-year planning. So some interesting responses. Now, some of these might resonate with you as you uh, respond to the challenges that you face. I'm not sure whether that, that works for you. Certainly for child fund, these things are, are very real. Um, and, uh, and I feel like we've changed a lot. I think for us as an organisation, we, we were and possibly still are a bit typecast as one of the conventional old-school NGOs. We've tried very hard to move away from that internally and externally. Um, we've changed a lot. I said to my board last week, I don't know if it's enough. I think we're effective, but I think time will tell whether it's really enough. Now, do we merge, collaborate, or fly solo? I've, I've clearly said that flying solo, I don't think is a good option. I don't mean by that we should merge necessarily, but we have to collaborate. Look, for me, um, I'm not an advocate. I'm not a believer in forced or encouraged or coerced mergers. I'm much more believe in an organic approach where NGOs sink or swim, depending on their success their effectiveness, their ability to tell their story, and they choose to emerge if there's a compelling reason to do so. We, we have had a couple of micro-organisations come to us, one of which we took over, iCare, a couple of years ago. A couple of others have discussed it with us and decided not to go ahead. Absolutely fine. There, of course, are arguments for rationalisation. People say there are too many NGOs. I say if that's the case, then let market forces take their course. There's no ideal number of NGOs. I don't think there's any kind of formula for how many we should have or what size. It's inevitably got to be driven by market forces and, 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 uh, and ultimately our ability to earn the right to exist. We don't have some entitlement to operate. Sure, we've got good intent, we've got good values. That's not enough. We, we, we don't have any right to exist. We have to constantly earn the, the, the trust and support of our constituents. We have to every day win the trust of those with whom we work. Um, that's how we stay afloat, relevant, and earn the right to continue. For us, as I've already said, we've massively expanded the range of partnerships and collaborations, and we'll continue to do that. Uh, of course, that becomes challenging to manage, but it's, li- but it's leading to a lot of positive results. When I started at Child Fund 14 years ago, the CEO of another very large NGO who, who shall remain nameless, said, oh, yeah, 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 okay, child fund, yeah, 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 one of the kitty funds, Yeah. Um, um, of course, you know, you know you won't survive, this was 2006, you know you won't survive. Really, the, the, the market is, is in for a, a massive rationalisation. With only room for uh, three or four large NGOs, then there'll be the specialist NGOs, but you, middle and medium-sized, you know, you've got no future. I'm pleased to say we are still alive we are still going we're a lot we 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 we're, we're three times as big as we were in 2006 size doesn't matter I think we're a lot more effective and a lot more impact now than we did then and we did need to reform and we still need to reform a whole lot more so look I wish you luck in your your journey um, but uh, yeah we've got to keep challenging ourselves open to the ideas willing to collaborate and give give our people and our partners permission thank you
0: I hope you enjoyed hearing Nigel's wisdom. And as I said at the outset, please send me some questions to ask Nigel when we chat next week. All right, bye for now.